One of the scripture readings this morning is from 2 Kings, uh, chapter 6, verse 8 to 17, found on page 579 in your pew Bibles. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he said, sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Opened his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I will be reading from Matthew 17, verse 1 to 9, found on page 1524 in your Bibles. The Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Great. Thank you, Art and Carter. We are looking at these two passages. In both of them, our text is that word uh, from Jesus in verse 7 to the disciples, uh, get up, don't be afraid. And Elisha also says to his servant in verse 16 of 2 Kings 6, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we are looking this morning at another one of the the fears that can take a hold of us, can hold us back in our faith, and the, the fear of the unexplainable. The account of Matthew 17 is is definitely something beyond what we would experience uh, in, in 
on a normal day. It's, it's, it's a, a transformation of Jesus right before the disciples' eyes. And there, in, in that instant too, with the shining of his face, like, like Harriet said, his, his clothes like lightning, uh, and, then, and then the cloud, and then the voice, and then definitely, whoa, this, this is frightening. This is, is much, much beyond what we had ever experienced or, or thought could happen. And so, so the things of God are taking place there in, in a way that, that, that is just frightening for us. Things that we can't just simply explain. I'm sure if you and I were there, we would join the disciples on the ground. We would be fearful. We do not counter things like this normally. And in fact, when we, when we read about spiritual things like this, and, and even the account from Second Kings, and, and even if we talk with others, and they, they maybe share with us too, they've had some spiritual experience. And then, and then we wonder a little bit. It's a little bit fearful for us. It's a little, little uncertain. It doesn't happen that often. We can't really explain it so easily. And so we are, we are thinking about the unexplained this morning in the season of Lent and that we are set free from fear and also fear of the unexplained. In God's perfect creation, back at the very beginning, God created things and there was nothing to fear. Everything was very good. In fact, the physical world and, and the spiritual world, they, they were in harmony with one another. And so we read about that first creation where Adam and Eve, they walked and talked with God. So the presence of God to them was not frightening. It was comforting. It was reassuring. But when sin entered this world, that relationship between God and people was broken. And what entered in was fear. And so right away too, after sin enters in, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. They run and hide. As soon as they hear God is coming, they are filled with fear. And we are still filled with fear. When we wonder what's God doing, is, is things of faith, spiritual things, what does it all mean? How is it going to work out? The fear, <clears throat> sorry, the fear of godly things, the fear of the divine enters in. And, and with sin, that, that fear grows, that distance widens over the years. And God and spiritual things are now frightening. We see that in our culture today. Spiritual things are frightening. In, in our Western world, spiritual things, things of God. And so within the, the response of people, you have various groups. The one group that, that completely is, is so frightened of it, they, they are atheists. They, they say there is no God, can't be. There is theos, God, A is negative, uh, atheist. There is no God, there is just no God. 
anything about God would be unexplainable. So, so to, to just get rid of that whole area, anybody who talks about spiritual things, they're lying. Everything in the Bible is false. There is no God. So then, then the fear is gone, right? If you say, too, there's no God, there's probably still just a deep wondering because you wonder how, how firm atheists hold to their position. There are other people who also also fearful of who God is and things of faith and things of, of a spiritual nature. And they would actually take this term, take this term literally. And, and they would simply categorize it all as the unexplainable. And, and already, historically, there was a group... Uh, they had a title even, agnostics. And if you're familiar with some of the terminology, the gnosis is, is to know in the Greek and, and to negative A, agnostic, that we don't know. We can't know. We are unable to know. Sure, there, there might be a God, but he is unexplainable, and we're going to leave it at that. We're just going to leave it at that. So anybody who talks about God, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Because, yeah, maybe there is a God, but we don't know anything about him. We can't know anything about him. And then, then even they might, they might even admit that even our understanding is the limiting factor. So there may be a God, and he may be trying to get in touch with us, but we, we really can't grasp that. And so we're just going to leave it at that. And we're not going to talk about it anymore. Spiritual things are set aside. There's a, a fear. Handling the fear of the spiritual, of the unexplainable. And it's said that, that the reality the, of sin brings, brings that fear out in people. And actually, the people, you and me, that God created, that God loves, that God cares for, in sin, that that divide keeps getting pushed wider. And so, so even for those who wonder about God a little bit and, and, and would maybe want to be in relationship with him, uh, it's still fearful. What, what's he going to do? And, and I'm a sinner. And, and the fear is there. And Satan wins when people are lost in fear. And God disappears. Jesus enters this fallen world to explain God to us. To show us who God is to take away our fear. When Jesus enters this fallen world, the one thing that strikes him is how fearful people are, also of God and spiritual things. And so when Jesus again says here in Matthew 17, don't be afraid, he recognizes the fear that the disciples have for the situation they find themselves in. 
But Jesus comes to make God known, to explain God's will and God's way, and to reveal the divine presence and plan of God to the disciples and to all of us. He is the one who crosses that divide. He comes to us to explain who God is, to explain the unexplainable. Jesus comes to take away our fear and to help us understand he is God who walks and talks with us again. The Transfiguration is an account of Jesus as true God breaking into this world. The context is Matthew 16, where Jesus explains to the disciples the plan of God. Jesus is explaining the unexplainable to them. He tells them in Matthew 16, I will die, but after three days I will rise again. They, they don't understand that. And they, they actually rebuke him. Peter rebukes him and says, No, that can't be right. That can't be the plan. That's not my plan for you. I've got a different plan. But Jesus revealing the plan of God to them, helping them understand who he is and why he has come and what God is doing. Jesus then, as a follow-up, they didn't quite get it. Right after that, Jesus takes them up on the high mountain. And it's not explained which mountain. It does say it's a high mountain. And in that, in that there is a, a picture of trying to get close to God, trying to come near to God. Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. That God is closer. You can, you can see him, understand him more, maybe if you go on a high mountain. There's also the element of prayer. Jesus went on the mountains to pray. But there is a sense something special is going to happen, and something does. Here, suddenly, Jesus is transfigured. And and what is that? What is that exactly? Well, we can't explain it. The word is metamorphosis. That's the Greek word. And we know the English, metamorphosis, a butterfly comes out of a caterpillar. Caterpillar goes into its, its, uh, its uh, stage there, and, it, and then it, it, it comes out a beautiful butterfly. And so that's, that's something like, maybe, but this is different than that. This is, this is a, a transformation of Jesus from his, his earthly human body to his divine Self. And so when it says his face shines, shines like the sun, the blessing of God in number six is written down Moses, you are to bless the people with the official blessing of God, with the words, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you. And so the people heard that often, and we hear that often. That's the blessing I use often. This is the shining face of God in Jesus. 
And then when it says his, his robes became, yeah, like lightning, white, like light, his robes became light. They became light. And in 1 John 1, it says, God is light. That's actually what he is. And so they still, they still recognize that it's Jesus. Peter isn't thrown off totally at that point. It's Jesus, but he's different. It's not like he grew 50 feet. It's still Jesus, and they can see him and recognize him. And he is talking to Moses and Elijah. That's, that's pretty interesting and special too. But that's, that's not even the exceptional fearful moment. When, when this, this happens though, they, they wonder. They're not sure. There might be things that, that even register in their mind. Moses is there as the giver of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Perfect obedience in every way. And so we can explain that a little bit. Elijah is there as the great prophet. Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecy. All prophecy points to Jesus. So Elijah's there. Moses is there. Jesus is there. Okay, we can, we can see the plan of God unfolding, working itself out, coming to completion. The spiritual world, the work of God, the plan of God is being worked out. And so, so I think for us too, that's, that's something that we can understand to a degree. That's, that's not completely unexplainable. That, that we recognize, though it's hard for us, that, that stuff that goes on in our lives and in this world isn't, first of all, uh, economic factors, political factors, uh, uh, social interactions of different kinds. It, it's not progress and technology and science. What is really going on, what is driving every event and every action is God unfolding his plan. That's the main thing that's going on. Everything that takes place in a big way, even in a smaller way, God's plan of salvation, spiritual things, are the priority, in fact. And God's will is that we would enter into that more and more. And sadly, sadly, we, we get into our own agenda and our own day and we are bound up in our own activities and instead of the, the things of God and spiritual things being the priority, which they are and they will continue to be in this world as it continues under God's rule, but that we, we make it a very low priority often in our lives. And so, so even, even as Peter, James, and John, Peter has denied the plan of God. Peter has said, no, Lord, that won't happen. Your death 
Yeah, your resurrection. No. Peter Peter is, is still, yeah, this is interesting, on the mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And then, and then the true overwhelming event happens. Then the cloud comes. The cloud is not just a cloud. It's, it's the Shekinah glory of God. It's the glory of God that filled the tabernacle. And everybody was... was in awe. It's, it's the glory of God that filled the tabernacle and the temple when it was built. It's, it's the presence of God in as real a way as people had experienced it. And so, so that actual almighty God is present. And then the voice of God. You wonder, you wonder what that, that sounded like. But it would have been impressive. It would have been scary. But the voice of God is speaking the truth of God into this world. And so when they see that, when they hear that, then they fall on their faces because because God is at work doing an amazing thing. And it's so much greater and so much more powerful than we could ever imagine. It is, it is unexplainable. It is frightening in our sin, in our weakness. Absolutely. But it is also, it is also comforting. I mean, God, God didn't do that to show off. God, God didn't come at that point to scare anybody. God came to highlight that he had sent his son, and this is my son, he says. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. He will explain to you what is all going on. And so, so that comfort to take away our fear. In both the Nicene Creed and the Belgian Confession, we confess that God created the visible and the invisible world, the, the, the tangible and the spiritual world. We confess. There are things that are normally invisible to our very limited vision. It's not that they do not exist. It's just that we are so dull, we are so blind, our focus is so narrow, we don't see it. We read from 2 Kings 6. I love the story of Elisha here. It is a story of, yeah, Elijah is with Jesus on the mountain. Elisha is the successor of Elijah in the prophetic ministry in 2 Kings 6. And as Elisha is doing his work. You see God. God is at work. What is going on? The king of Aram is trying to work out his plans and overthrow Israel. Nothing doing. Elisha knows what's said in the bedroom of the king of Aram. Who is in control? Who is running things? God. God is working out his plan. We better realize that, recognize that, 
king of Aram doesn't. And so he, he looks into it and he's figuring it out and he has got Elisha trapped in Dothan. He has got him now. He sends his army at night. He surrounds the city. And, and indeed, it looks bad. No doubt about it. Humanly speaking. And the servant of Elisha is living in that very physical world. And in our lives too at times, things can look. They look bad. They look bad to me and they look bad to you. It just looks bad at times. And yet, Elisha is at peace. He is free from fears. He is, he is not worried. And, and that, that very gracious prayer of Elisha, open the eyes of my servant. Give this man some spiritual insight, some real understanding. And when he does it, uh, I love the picture because, because around the city, there's all these horses and chariots, and then around them... <laughs> A much bigger circle with many more horses and chariots of fire. So what's going on? Who's really in charge? I didn't see it. I don't see it. There it is. God is present. God is at work. God is comforting and caring for his people. Read the rest of the story today if you have a moment. It's, it's a comfort. Our, our hope, our faith, the assurance we have is a comfort and all fear is gone. With Jesus in his transfiguration, the disciples, their eyes are open. And in their fear of Jesus dying and not sure what the plan is, they are able to see Jesus in his glory, in his greatness, in his power. And so when, when he comes to them afterwards and says, get up, there is, there is even there a bit of a, a, a prelude to arise, arise. You arise, I will arise, Easter morning. But he says, don't be afraid. Everything is as it should be. Everything is working itself out according to God's plan. Do not be afraid. Be comforted. God is working out his saving plan. This is the good news. This is the gospel that we bring to a world in fear. That there is a God. You don't need to be an atheist or an agnostic. He is there and we know him in Jesus. That's the good news. And he has come to overcome the power of sin that blinds us, that darkens us, that darkens our hearts so that we don't see God anywhere. He comes to show us God's love. Jesus is both Truly human, that's on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's truly a human being. Why is that important? Because as a human being, 
He takes our place. He is going to carry our sin, your sin and my sin, on the cross. As a human being, he will do that for you and for me. And he is truly God. Because how can he do it for you and for me? If he does it for you, he can't do it for me. If I do something for you in that way, I couldn't do it for someone else. You can't give your life for one person and then give your life for another. You can't donate a kidney to someone and then donate another kidney, then you're dead. You can only donate one kidney. You can only do so much. Jesus, as divine, as true God, can carry all of our sin. That's why he has to be true God. And he shows that. And what is that? Jesus, human and divine. I cannot explain that to you any more than that. But from scripture, I know it's true. And that's the center of the gospel. Jesus came to die for our sin and to take it away in his death and resurrection. And that's the comfort we have when we not even understand. We say to people too, do you understand this? They say, no, no, don't really understand it. You ask me, Pastor Mike, do you really understand it? I said, not really. But you don't need to understand it completely. You need to believe it. You just need to believe it. Do you believe it is a question. Maybe not understand everything, but do you believe that Jesus came to die for your sin, to save you? Then you are filled with, again, 1 Peter 1 says, an unexplainable joy. Our faith, our hope, that's the solid rock that we stand on. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we pray you would open our eyes to see you again, to believe in you. And we pray too for anyone here who's not sure. We pray that like the disciples, that like Elisha's servant, you would remove any fear and that together we might go forward in faith, longing to love and serve you and to build your kingdom here. Amen. Here.